With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right. Hey, we're having a good time here. This is uh, the 21st of December. This is uh, There Is A Way Out. It's a podcast that um, really, I, uh, I'm i not an expert. I tell everybody that. Uh, I'm just, I've had almost 11 years sobriety. Uh, this is designed for people who may be on the fence, who maybe uh, are having problems with addiction and, and 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 wondering if they're what they can do to try to get themselves out of that hole and uh, i'm really happy today because i have some guests in the studio that mean a lot to me for one i've got uh louis uh louis morris and i got uh, bishop david jacobs from the church of jesus christ of later latter-day saints and i've got aubrey aubrey who's married to louis morris now louis morris and i we have a, an addiction program uh, that we run, which I'm honored to be part of, Thursday nights. And uh, Louis is in charge of, he's, a, what would you call yourself, Louis, the uh, director? Uh, yeah, the addiction recovery leader. Okay. So uh, we, uh, what we do is we take the 12 steps and we intertwine it with uh, our higher power. And we have not talked about this in uh, several of my podcasts before. Higher power to me, and I'm sure to Louis, was uh, uh, vital and essential for my recovery and for my still um, recovering day by day. And what we use is we use, during our meetings, we use a LDS Family Services Addiction Recovery Program, which is a great guide uh, using the 12 steps of AA and using our higher power. Uh, and we go over each step every week. And we've been doing that now for almost two years, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, so, Louis, real quick, uh, Louis Morris, if you want to tell your story real quick, how you came to be and what you were suffering with. Yes, I'd love to. Okay, so uh, at an early age, um, I experimented with, with alcohol and tobacco with some of, my, some of my younger friends. We would just kind of, you know, typical young, rebellious teenager go out behind the bushes, steal parents' cigarettes or whatever, and smoke them. And then, you know, it wasn't too harmful at first. It was just kind of alcohol. Occasionally, we would smoke marijuana here and there. But I wasn't, you know, I was kind of infatuated with it, but it wasn't, I would say, a full-blown addiction. Until, uh, I don't know, probably when I was about 13, somebody near to me had introduced me to methamphetamine. And as soon as I tried that, it was... There was no going back. I was totally hooked, and it had really gotten taken a hold of my life, and um, that's all that I that I really knew and wanted to wanted to follow and chase after that high. Yeah, so so I tried meth, and I became fully addicted in, into that, and there was no other drug or other high that could that could compare to it that I had experienced since then. And, you know, once I reached that point, there was really no turning back. I'd already um, began to experiment with drugs. So I let down my morals and my standards, so to speak. And there wasn't anything that I wouldn't try after that. I pretty much became a full-blown junkie. It wasn't long after that. I think I was about 16 when I first um, shot up meth and heroin. It was actually heroin. 
and cocaine with a with a friend of mine. Did you feel yourself uh, your life running out of you? Did you feel yourself out of control yet, or were you still having fun? Uh, no, I I thought I'd had life by the by the horns. Really, I was. I had no fears. I had no no desire to turn back. I was young. I didn't have responsibilities, and I didn't see the devastating effects of addiction at that point in my life. And so it was it was like anything goes, really. Um, and it took a while for my life to begin to spiral out of control. I just kind of went with went with the flow and um, just went all out in my addiction and did crazy, stupid stuff. Um, so now, living a life of addiction, um, it finally started getting out of control. Well, I would say probably once I got into my 20s, I, I really, really lost um, all hope and, and desire to uh, live a normal life, so to speak. I would do just about anything to chase that high. Um, so there was a time when I was in Colorado and, um, I'd been using meth steadily. I was working in graveyards at a gas station job and just, just enough to support my habit. And it's funny cause it ended up being one of the worst experiences, but also one of the best experiences in my life up to that point, because I'd got mixed up with some people and, one girl got arrested and she told the police that I had supplied her with meth. Well, that ended up uh, me getting a warrant and them coming and arresting me and throwing me in jail. And so that, that point in my life was a very, a very low point. Um, and that ended up being one of the best things that happened to me was to be locked up and to actually see a consequence for my actions. Because before that, I'd never got, I mean, I'd gotten in little trouble here and there, but that was the real the, really the first time I'd gotten in big trouble. Um, so now I would say after, after I had my stint with jail and, and with the court system, it was an eye-opener for me, but the addiction was too strong. I continued on in that, and um, there wasn't really anything that could stand in my way between me and my addiction. I... I've always had loving and supporting family and, and parents that, that have stood by my side and wanted the best for me and helped me. And, and my grandmother, she always did everything she could for me. And it was a fine line between enabling me and helping me. I took advantage of that, like any addict does, to, to achieve getting money or means, vehicle, whatever I needed to go out and get those drugs. You know, it didn't matter who I hurt along the way. Um, because there wasn't, I'd have remorse afterwards, but at the time it was just like, hmm, whatever, I, whatever I had to say to make the people around me happy so that I could continue to use. Well, you and I both know <clears throat> too, I had a counselor once tell me that when we are in the uh, midst of our, uh, our addiction, uh, booze or whatever, that is really our mistress. That's our lover. That's the person, that's the drug. That's the thing that we have to have. And like you had said, um, when family is enabling us, uh, we will take advantage of that as much as we possibly can until it comes to a point where the family eventually, for a lot of people, will say no more, no more. T That's when tough love comes about.
Yes, absolutely. Um, so fast forward to, I would say, 2009, 2010, before I came up here, um, my life had gotten so out of control and so unmanageable and so miserable that using and getting high was had lost all its fun and all its luster that I once had when I was a teenager and I was carefree and had no worries. I'd never witnessed firsthand the the withdrawals from opiates and those sorts of things that I was going through on a regular basis now at this age because I would bounce back and forth from using meth and then when I'd come down off meth, I would use heroin or opiates and just spiral back and forth and then throw in the alcohol in between when there was a dry spell when I couldn't get any of the drugs. Well, um, okay, so then we'll, we'll kind of fast forward to right as I'm getting ready to move up here to North Dakota. Um, I knew what was coming. It wasn't fun and it wasn't going to be easy. And I definitely did not want to let go of all my ties and my connections to use those drugs and to continue on in my addiction. But I figured, well, what could it hurt to, to give it a try, you know? So uh, finally, after a couple months of going back and forth saying, oh, I don't want to go and, you know, fighting it really, I, I gave it a shot and me and my brother-in-law, we came up here and it was it was the best thing for me in my life. I got away from all my old connections. I worked hard and I didn't have any money. So I was still borrowing money to survive at the time. So I definitely didn't have any money to spend on alcohol or anything like that. And really life was going well and I was getting those drugs out of my system. And I was far starting to finally feel sober and normal that I didn't really have any craving for alcohol or anything like that. So life was going good. Well, as, as I started getting caught up on my debts and the money that I owed to my family, I started to get a little bit more comfortable and ahead of things to where I had a little bit of extra spending money. And I decided to go in and start drinking a little bit here and there. Not too much, probably a couple times a week at first. And then, you know, eventually it just spiraled out of control and went more and more. I, did, I replaced it with my old addictions to drugs. And that's what I was going to ask you. Uh, somebody who's used to doing pot or uh, meth, when they try to quit that, they say, oh, I can drink instead. And you and I both know, uh, really, to remain 100% sober, you can't do any of that stuff. Any of that stuff. If I were to go out and try pot or anything like that, then I know it's just going to break down my senses. And why would you do that? But see, at the time, like you said, you're trying to replace one with another, and you think if you don't do the meth and thing and just drink, but then it got worse, didn't it? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, once you're, you know, once you start the program and you start to understand how you work and how your mind and your body works with these addictions, it really unlocks um, your character defects and those things that cause you to want to go out and use and to drink and to um, mask those feelings that we're feeling. Um, and before that, I, I had no idea how to control and to suppress those those emotions and those feelings and how to deal with the things that I'd done in my life. And so all I knew was to go out and get high and use and and mask all that pain and that hurt with with my addiction. And so yeah, as I was saying, I was, you know, I had a good stable job, things were going well, I was making lots of money, and then I got ahead on my bills and then I was starting to get comfortable and I started to drink. Well, like I said, it was only a couple times a week. It didn't take long for that to catch up with me. And it was every single day. Come noon o'clock, 
<laughs> come lunch, <laughs> noon 30, whatever. Uh, that was the first thing on my mind was how soon can I get out of here and hit the bar or hit that bottle that was waiting for me at my home. And I remember so many times driving from my home or from my work to my home, which is only a few miles on hot summer days, and thinking, oh, that beer is going to taste so good. And sitting down, bellying up to the bar, I thought it tasted great, and I thought it was just wonderful. Well, once it got out of control, and it was where I needed it every day, and that's all that I thought about, and the hangovers were so severe, every morning I'd get up and I'd swear, I'm not drinking today, I can't, I can't do this. Well, by noon, once I started feeling better, then it was like, ah, that drink's not starting to sound so bad. And then, sure enough, 4 o'clock, I'm driving down the road, and that's where I was headed, straight for that bottle. And um, so, so yeah, I continued on in that in that cycle for uh, several for about a year, a little over a year. And you know, there would be certain times that I would feel like the light of Christ reaching out to me, and I would I would take a step back from my addiction and from my life that I was living, and look at things and recognize how grateful and how blessed my life really is, opposed to a couple years ago when I was in Utah spiraling way out of control, hurting everyone around me, and and seeing that there was no hope. So I, you know, I thought I would give it a shot and reach out to God and show him that I appreciated this new life that he'd given me. And I, I told myself and God, I said, well, I'll try going to church one time and see if it'll work out for me and if it's something really that that I that I want in this life. Well... It worked out pretty well. My nieces and nephews, they came along with me the first time. I'll never forget this. I was, I was so embarrassed, so shy, so scared, and so nervous the first time that I went. Um, but the mo- main thing that was on my mind during that first, that first portion of the, of the church meeting, which is what we call sacrament, um, I was just worried about where do I take these nieces and these kids to their classes because I knew the routine but I didn't know anybody there I didn't know where to take them well after that it was nothing short of a miracle this wonderful lady she came over to me and she's introduced Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky Lucky? In line at the deli I guess? Aha in my dentist's office more than once actually Do I have to say? Yes you do in the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com herself she said oh i haven't seen you here she said here let me take your children and take them over to where they need to be and that just made me feel so loved and so welcomed that that it's indescribable now when you went to church for the first time you were and trying to quit for the first time or so you weren't really doing it for yourself were you no i wasn't at that at that time it was i felt like i owed it to god because he'd saved my life and 
and yeah, basically that's it. It wasn't it wasn't wholeheartedly for me. And so after after church, things went well. I met with the bishop there at the time because I wanted to give it my 100%. I met with him and laid it all out on the table, how I'd been living my life. I'd been living with a girlfriend at the time, and we'd both been drinking together. We were terrible for each other. The only thing we really had in common was the alcohol. And I wanted to change. Well... I felt at, at that moment, I felt really great for confessing. But as soon as I'll never forget this, as soon as I stepped outside of the church, Saint, it was like Satan had whispered in my ear, Louis, you, are, you should be so ashamed of yourself. Look at all this terrible stuff that you've done and that you've told him. You can't go back. And that's, I remember walking away and having those feelings, and he won that battle at that time. Uh, and I was just going to say to you, so many people that have. Uh tried and relapsed, tried and relapsed, tried and relapsed. It's the same thing. They're, they're not quitting for themselves. They think, man, I owe blah, blah, blah. I owe them a chance to quit, or I owe my parents a chance to quit. But you really can't. Uh, you just can't turn that off like a switch, can you? No, you definitely can't. Yeah, and and I didn't know, you know, I didn't really know because I didn't have these tools and the knowledge of recovery at the time. I d- like I said, I just feel this, you know, the like the light of Christ reaching out to me, and I knew that there was something in me because I had attended church as, as a youngster, but as I said, at an early age, I fell astray and went the total opposite path. So, so yeah, that was that was the last time that I went for, for church at that at that time period. I couldn't go back and face the bishop, and I couldn't go back and face all those people. It was just too much. Well, I continued on in my addiction for several more months. And it just only got worse and worse. Was it fun? It wasn't fun anymore, was it now? <laughs> no, it was, it was living hell. It was totally miserable. There was, there was nothing fun about it. It was just the routine and the only thing I knew, so I continued on in it. Um, finally, one day I just I realized how far out of control my life had gotten, and, and I, I, I prayed and I, I told myself, you know what, I'm really going to try this time. And I want to make these changes. You know, that's when I finally uh, realized that I wanted to do it for myself. And if I was going to do it, I had to do it for myself and I had to try it out. And I wanted to do it for God, too, because I wanted to show him that I was grateful for this new life. And I wanted to commit and at least, look, I'll give it, I'll, I'll try it your way at least, you know, a couple weeks, whatever. And if it's not what's good for me or what I feel is, is right or whatever, then, hey, at least I can say that I tried did you ever have those days, because you and I both have God as our higher power, did you ever have those, those days when uh, we were doing what we do and running amok? Did you ever have those days where you think, you know what, <laughs> God doesn't want to have anything to do with me anymore. How can he? I mean, I've, I've let him down, the main man, I've let him down along with my family and everyone else, but how, how I'm almost too ashamed to talk to God anymore, and there was a long time when I didn't, because um, yeah, he was... I was running crazy with my drinking and, uh, you know, barreling downhill without anything. And I was uh, wallowing in uh, just major problems. And I, I avoided God just flat out because I didn't think he I didn't think how could he support what I'm doing? I mean, did you have the same feeling? Yeah, let me let me get into that a little bit. Yeah. So so with being raised um, in the church I went, like I said, I went from a youth up to my teenage years. So I had somewhat of a relationship with 
with Heavenly Father, and I knew, um, and I knew I I knew for a fact that He knew exactly what I was doing every time I was out messing up, and I always knew that, and that caused a lot of guilt and shame um, during my addictions, and it ruined it for me a lot of the times too when I would go out and use because I would go back and forth. I would try to quit, attend church and start getting a little bit better, but then whatever reason would cause me to go out and use again. And there's a thing, there's a saying that you'll hear a lot in addiction that a lot of us that have been through these hardcore addictions in alcohol or whatever, and our life has become so unmanageable that we have these foxhole prayers, that we're down on our knees about to lose our life to whatever reason, whether it be the addiction or gotten in an accident or whatever, or there's something bad that's happened in our life. I know several times where I've used while I was employed and I knew a drug test was coming up. And I remember getting on my knees and saying those foxhole prayers to God, please let me not get uh, picked for this random drug test. And I know there was a couple times where it was just a miracle that my name didn't come up and that I didn't get pulled in for that drug test. And, and so I was very ashamed to communicate with God. But once I reached this point to where I decide, you know what, I'm going to try it your way. I really wholeheartedly wanted to do that, and I wanted to do it for myself and, and see where it went. Well, I went back to church. There was a different bishop at this time, and everything just lined up perfectly. I really felt a lot of love and compassion from this man, and I knew that there was no judgment towards me. And God had really alleviated all the withdrawal symptoms from my alcoholism, and taken away my addiction to nicotine, too. I'd been smoking at the time, and I quit that cold turkey. Um, and same with alcohol. I just, one day I woke up, I was like, you know what, this ain't the life for me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change, and then broke things off with my girlfriend, and then went, went to church. And I met with the bishop, and, you know, he worked with me on this addiction, on these addictions and these problems that I'd had. Well... I committed myself to the gospel and to his work that that really replaced all the cravings and all the things that I had been looking for my whole life through my addictions. Um, that filled that void, having that spirit and that closeness and this, that near, nearness to, to the Lord. You know, I just, I gave it my all and I, ne I didn't look back. At the time, I really, I really loved it. I loved the new people that I was interacting with, and it's all just been been really wonderful. You know, not to say that there isn't bad days, and that I still look back on my on my past addictions sometimes longingly, and it's it's hard for me to say that, and I and I'm ashamed to say it, but it's the truth. You know, there's times in our lives when when we'll we'll be weak, and that's when the addiction's going to work on us and try and get us to think about those times and and try and trigger us to relapse. Well, now my life's become come to a point to where I wouldn't have these many blessings that I have in my life right now. I've been able to get married. I have a wonderful wife, Aubrey, and I've been able to be involved with this addiction recovery program. And if you would ask me 10 years from now, 10 years ago where I'd be at, I'd, there's no way that I'd ever see myself as leading a 12-step program like this. And this is what I was going to say. That's why I'm so um, I've been really uh, grateful and honored to have been part of this uh, program on Thursdays. Um, I was asked by the bishop who we're going to talk to in just a second to to be part of this. And for me, you know, we go to a meetings and there are different kinds of meetings. Um, 
every city, every town, whatever. But uh, this one was fun because we got to incorporate, uh, I got to incorporate my higher power uh, along with the steps of AA, which is so crucial. And anybody that would come in who was, who anybody who has some sort of addiction uh, problem uh, is welcome to, um, to be part of this meeting. And as Louis and I, um, Louis knows this, that when you first start getting sober and you see the tools that are available, that uh, you need to have a higher power. Now, for those people who said, I don't, you know, I could do it on my own or I could do it with my sponsor. Well, higher power for some people is a doorknob. Higher power for some people is their, their uh, version of what uh, religion is or, or, or anything that can keep them going. If you don't have a higher power and you think you can do this on yourself, the odds are so against it. Oh, absolutely. You know, I, I, always, I always wanted to do it on my own. It was a pride issue with me. I thought... Why can't I beat this on my own? Why do I need to go to a rehab or go to any AA meetings or anything like that? I should be strong enough to do this on my own. And I just white knuckle it for a couple weeks or whatever. And sure enough, there'd be I'd have a bad day or I'd have a good day, and that would cause me to go out and celebrate or wallow in my self-pity and mask all that with drugs and alcohol and different substances, so I didn't have to feel those feelings. Tell me all the rewards of sobriety for you. What do you and, the, and there are so many you can't even go through all of them, but tell me some of the ones that uh, are uh, that you can let the newcomers uh, hear about. Okay, yeah. So I'd have to say one of the one of the very first ones would be attending these meetings and seeing the newcomer as they come in all beat up and broken and wore down. I see myself in them, and I remember exactly where I was at and where I came from. Um, so service is definitely one of the huge rewards, not only for me, but for other people. Another reward is not having to wake up in the morning and have that addiction nagging at me 24-7, and how am I going to feed this addiction? Another reward is now I'm married and I have a wife. Um, and another reward also would be not having the fear of the law coming down on me. <laughs> so true. So true. I got to just say this real quick. My reward came um, in, a, in a thousand different ways. I got back some of uh, my family members who, my sister and one who finally uh, started uh, trusting me. And uh, she and I hadn't talked to each other for a while uh, when I was going through it. Uh, but another reward came in a fellow by the name of Bishop David uh, Jacobs. And I've known him now for a couple of years. And uh, he is at the church that I go to, the Church of Jesus Christ of uh, Latter-day Saints. This guy is talk about rock stars this guy's your rock star of all rock stars first of all i think he's in his early his late 30s i keep forgetting 43 but thank you and he looks like an athlete the guy's a stud but uh he's a bishop (laughs) for me uh i think that's the coolest thing around and also the greatest gift that he's been given is he he's an eye doctor i am so you give the you give the rewards of vision to people who come in to see you I, I enjoy seeing people go from being blind to being able to see, and it's just um, we can we can fix a lot of problems, and I, I love doing that. Now, Bishop, you've been hearing us talk. You've been hearing uh, Louis, uh, Louis' story. 
uh, and you know both of our stories. You've been to several of our meetings and everything. And, and uh, some people might say to you, why do you even – you don't have to go there. Uh, you know, you, you're not addicted to anything. Well, for one thing, and uh, we'll talk to Aubrey in a second too, it's important for some people – who need to understand this whole wicked disease to sometimes go to a meeting and listen to some of our stories and some of uh, hopefully our stories of hope. But being a bishop, you've had some uh, you've had several uh, experiences dealing with this, haven't you? Right. Right. So so being um, receiving a church, I mean, I'm, I'm a normal guy. I have, I have a wife and kids and, and I have a job. And, um, and so I'm volunteering and, and serving as a bishop. And when, when a calling comes and it comes from God, you, you, you care about the people you're asked to serve. And so I, I genuinely care about, about you, Dave, and I care about Louie, and I care about the people going to the meeting, and I care about how they're doing. And that's the, that's the reason that I try and get there when I can, and I wish I could go more. Um, and then and the other thing, too, is that when I go to these meetings and I listen to your podcast, I, you know, I am really uplifted by it. I mean, I have things that I'm struggling with in my own life, my own weaknesses that I'm working on and you know, things that I'm not doing as well as I should or and, and but when I listen to this, and it's uplifting to know that we can all improve and we can all, um, there is a way out with whatever problems or struggles we're dealing with. You have a family member and you've had several encounters where you've actually uh, had to uh, sit down with some people from the church uh, with addiction. You want to relay some of that? Certainly, yep. So uh, just last night I was on the phone with my, uh, my wife's younger brother. Um, his name's Jody. He said I could talk about him. He's, he's 34. He lives in Charlotte, North Carolina, and he's listened to your podcast and, and liked it. And so, um, you know, I'm about, I'm about uh, nine years older than him. And so when he was 17, I was living at, at home with him with, and my wife, and um, I was in my medical training. And I remember... Uh, lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. When he was 17, he was out with friends um, and he got, got a bunch of alcohol and he blacked out. And then uh, my wife's parents had to rush him to the emergency room. And, and so he started at a young age getting involved in alcohol and, and seeing some, some bad consequences from that. And he said that he kept drinking. And he, 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 did, he actually found a way to, to do well in school. He's very smart. And, uh, and he, he did great in college. He's an engineer. He's a chemical engineer now. But he continued drinking um, throughout college and his early professional life all the way until he was about 29, and his wife kind of said, you know, you really, we got to do something about this. And so then he started going to, to AA meetings, and he went to a, a, a place even recently, um, well, about a year and a half ago, he went to a place called Three Rivers in South Carolina there, and he got some, some, um, some in, in-house inpatient um, help there. And, um, and, and he said that what really, kind of like what Louis shared, there's a time where you, where you hit rock bottom, as people say. It was just, there's these bad, awful things happening to you, and it's just not fun anymore. And and for my, my brother-in-law, Jody, it was just, you know, ending up at the hospital, 
because he got in a fight with someone and got hurt or the police coming over. And, and it wasn't just, you know, this happens, you know, once every, you know, 10th or time I drink, it's happening almost every other time I drink, something bad's happening or I'm, I'm making myself look like a total jerk with my, my, my colleagues. And uh, he just didn't want bad things to happening to him anymore. And so he just wanted to go to AA and figure out how can I um, get this drinking under control? And, um, and he said, he shared with me last night that when he first went and he heard everyone talking about God, you know, he coming from a, not a religious perspective, it just said, what is all this kind of strange God talk? I don't know if this is the right place for me to be. And his sponsor said, you know, just think about this as a higher power. Just think about this as there's more than just you here and you, you're going to need help from others and from a higher power to, to learn how to, how to get this under control and and, 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 he, and he just really wanted to, as you say, you know, wanted the obsession lifted. He wanted to stop thinking about drinking all the time. And, and, he, and he relapsed a few times um, from age 29 you know, for a few years. And, but now he's 34 and a year and a half he hasn't had any drinking. He's been sober for a year and a half. He's, he has a sponsor. He goes to his meetings regularly every couple of days. And um, he, says, he says that when he first stopped drinking, he felt like he had superpowers. I remember saying this because he said he wouldn't, when he showed up Monday at work, he wasn't, first of all, he wasn't showing up late or missing Monday, and he would get everything he needed to do in half the time. He just felt like he was just sharp, you know, and, and he loved, you know, feeling smarter. It's it amazing, I guess, that, that fog, that was one of the titles of the other ones, that the fog in his life has lifted. And then he said that um, he started thinking about other people more. You know, he's, he's kind of gotten, gotten involved in his community, and he, and he loves cats, and he'll go and, and find little kittens, and he'll and he'll and he'll take him to the animal shelter, and he'll and if, and if there's a grandma in the neighborhood, he'll he'll go and get get him out from under the house for him. And and uh, he's kind of told me some fun stories where where he's he's thinking about other people more, and he likes that. And he used to feel a lot of regret. He used to he used to just regret all his past mistakes and 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 just hurting people he was close to. And um, and he used to and he used to think about the future, feeling really anxious, worried, what's going to happen. Well, that's natural too, and um, on our part. Yep, but now, now he says, now that this obsession, this worry of wanting to drink all the time is, is gone, and, and he's feeling more faith, he's actually excited about the future. He doesn't know what it's going to bring, but he's looking forward to it, and he's excited about it. And I said, how did you get to that point where you're, you're excited? And he said, it's because, you know, he, he decided to try this, this, this God thing. He said, he, I said, how did, you, how did you start with this God thing? He said, well, I would just offer little short prayers. You know, God, please help me stop thinking about drinking, or, or just little short prayers. And he, and he realized that things started to fall in place. His thoughts were clear. He was getting help at his meetings. And, 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 then, he, um, and, he, and then that's how he, he, he feels like God has a plan for him now. And he's not as worried anymore. Can I ask you a question? Do you find that uh, sometimes, uh, and you'll see it, I'm sure, do you find that sometimes people um, are intimidated, uh, feel like maybe uh, they don't belong uh, in the, in the rooms of God and, 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 you know, who definitely need the higher power in their life. Do you find that sometimes people are such at a low point in their life that like I was a long time ago, and maybe Louie was too, that I felt like maybe, um, I was not deserving of any, uh, any, any higher power, any love like that. Do you feel like sometimes people, uh, uh, uh are afraid to go back Are afraid to go? Yes. Well, first of all, there is nothing that you can do. No, there's nothing bad enough you could do that would ever change who you are, and that is you're a son of God or you're a daughter of God. Like, it's a fundamental truth that he has created us in his image, and he loves us with a perfect love. Okay? Even if you have lousy hair like me, right? <laughs> yeah, he, uh, <laughs> you know, 
you know, <laughs> God actually said a hair of the head is not going to be lost in the resurrection. So there's a lot sure. of wonderful things to look forward to. But um, there, anyways, the times when we don't feel like getting on our knees and offering a prayer to God because we feel too bad our, about ourselves, that's when we need to do that. Because if you, if you get on your knees and just offer a short prayer, you will feel that God loves you. And that's when we, that's when we need him. You know, you said something to me. Uh, I, I got to say something to everybody that's listening to this. I'm going to be as honest as I possibly can. Everybody that's in this room, we had a brilliant 55-minute experience of a podcast that was recorded, and I pushed the wrong button, and all that went away. So these folks are so kind enough that they're staying with us again, eating up half their afternoon on this Saturday. But what you had said earlier really hammered home to me when you said that um, when somebody's looking at you, um, and somebody is is uh, fearful, and they finally come to you to say, "I have a problem with addiction." You told me how happy that makes you feel. Right? Yeah, because because you said when someone comes to you as a bishop and they're looking for help, you know, how do, what are you thinking? How do you feel? And and it's it's it might be odd, but I am happy that they're sharing with me their struggles. Like I am so glad that they're saying, "Look, I have this this addiction." And, and, and it might be an addiction that they've covered up from people, that you just, you didn't, you know, they're finding a way to hide it. And um, when they open up, I am just so happy because I know that they are on the path to healing. They are letting light into their life. Do you they're, see how relieved they are almost? Do you see a kind of attention just kind of like fly away almost from their body? I mean, they're, they're in front of you, trusting you, telling you everything they're going through. That's got to be... Yeah, it's like it's like a like a one ton, um, you know, weight has been lifted off of their shoulders, and and what they're doing is they're um, humbling themselves. Like we all have to humble ourselves, because we all have done dumb things, you know, and, and we all have these weaknesses, and we have to humble ourselves before um, before God and say, okay, I'm I'm sorry, I did this. This was a mistake. And but when they come and talk to me as as, as their bishop, um, they're humbling themselves. They're being honest. And they're having faith. You know, they're talking to their church leader. They're having faith in God, and they're they're they're, they're talking to me. But really, they're doing it because they want to, like Louis said, they want to get closer to God and repair that relationship with God, and change. And so they're letting that light into their life. And I know that they are on the path to healing. God will heal them, and, and they're on the they're on that step to recovery. So I'm happy when they come and talk to me. You know, one of the uh, the things I've learned the most um, from Bishop uh, Jacobs and uh, these two folks and. and uh, Louis and his wife is a, uh, you know, I used to think before and I was ashamed before that what God must have thought of me running amok like that and going crazy and uh, really throwing my life away and uh, making my family, uh, you know, lying and cheating to my family and uh, and not being there for loved ones that really needed me. And I used to think to myself, now, why am I able to do all this and God is still there? And then I learned about free will. And this is a spectacular thing about the fact that God, you know, with his power could just basically say, hey, goofball with lousy hair quit doing that and then and then but he gives you the free will to go out and make all these mistakes and uh, do all these things wrong and see yourself spinning out of control and unfortunately for some people they uh, disappear or they uh, they die in this disease and god's always there for you ready to say come on back whenever you're ready to uh really whenever you're ready to surrender as louie and i both know surrendering is the bottom line as far as the very first thing you have to do in addiction is 100%, not 96%, because there's always the devil talking to us. How do you feel about that, Bishop? Yeah, well, I just want to 
touch on the fact yeah. that you said that we have our free will. Yep. And so, um, I mean, the, the, we have to kind of bring to mind, like, what's the purpose of life? And, and, and uh, you know, I, I was really, um, up, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm grieving with you because you, your dad passed away. And, I thank you for but that. I, but I, I really appreciate you sharing um, what your dad was like in this last podcast you shared. Because what an amazing guy! You know, mm. he he's always rooting for you, and he's the one that encouraged you to go into radio, and and <laughs> yeah. uh, and yeah. he was, you know, and he was someone that, that cared cared about you, and, and and you guys lived together a long time, and he and you're still in touch all the time on the phone, and but anyways, um, God, you know, all powerful God that created everything, He wants us to call Him um, by the title of Father, Heavenly Father, because you know, having a good dad like you have, we we get a, a kind of a picture of what our Heavenly Father is like. He's even more loving. And and um, and more kind, and wanting to help us more, even than the best father we have here on earth. And um, but but because he's a loving heavenly father, um, he he wants us to learn how to become like him, kind and loving, and making good choices and uh, becoming like him. And so that's why he's given us this free will to learn from our our experiences. And so we have bad experiences, all of us do, and then we learn from them. Okay, I want to avoid those bad things, and now I want to want to start doing some better things in my life. And that's and that's how he gives us experiences to become come like him and it takes and it takes humility and honesty like you said and, and just surrendering our will to him and then we get to become like him and um and, and have more joy in our life all right now i want to say something real quick uh for the last um two years since i've been going to this uh, meeting on thursday i've dealt with louis morris and a great addition to the meetings have been his wife aubrey and aubrey comes in of course i know she works and is it noon o'clock is that when you work at noon o'clock Right there, Louis. <laughs> Noon o'clock, is that right? <laughs> uh, and she, and, and now uh, she's a great, um, I'm trying to explain this to, to everybody in a perfect way. So she comes in with um, Louis and uh, they are in charge of this meeting. And she also does a meeting uh, now on Sunday nights, uh, kind of Al-Anon meeting for the families. And uh, she has supported Louis through all of this. But one of the things that we had talked about before in the podcast that got ruined was the fact that uh, you've never had any experience in addiction and everything like that until you kind of came involved with uh, Louis, right? Right. Yes, that's right. Uh, so tell me what it's like when you see someone and you've met someone and you hear about the past. And what is it you feel like? Uh, you know, Louis was saying that at first you weren't sure what you could add to the meeting, something kind of like that. And it's so not true because you add everything and more. Yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. That's very nice of you to say. Um, yeah, I've never really had problems with addictions. Um, I've never really been in a, in a place where I felt like I wanted to drink or I wanted to smoke or I wanted to take drugs. Um, I even don't like to take pain medication when I get it, when I have like um, surgeries and stuff like that, um, just because I hate the way it makes me feel. And so for me, it's always been something that I haven't struggled with. Well, one of her biggest addictions really is going to the uh, Mexican place in her pajamas and ordering a breakfast burrito. We all, <laughs> we all know about that. Um, okay. Continue what you were saying, though, because it's really fascinating. I want to ask you some questions in a second. Um, well, I think a lot of it is that... Um, you know, when Louie and I first met on our first date, he totally divulged everything, like, <laughs> which was a little bit intimidating, I have to admit. But um, I was really happy that, like, you know, it wasn't something that he wanted to hold back. You know, he wanted me to accept him for who he was and for what his past was. And I and I really appreciated that. Even when he met my family for the first time, him and my dad sat down and Louie told my dad, like, everything that wow. he had 
been through and all of his experiences. And so I just think that I always just thought what a great guy he was and um, just how willing he was to change. And I don't know. I just thought it was really humbling even for me. To did, did you find out sometimes it was hard to understand? Because uh, I know that I've talked to people before that are that we call them a normie. A normie is somebody who has a normal life, who's not addicted to what uh, booze and drugs can bring. Did you find it hard to believe what that addiction is really like, which pulls us and drags us into that? I know it's... For the people that don't have this in their life, it's almost impossible. They sometimes they'll say, "Can't you take a, a pill?" or "Can't you can't you stop? Can't you just stop?" And uh, they don't understand that driving that pull was that hard to deal with at first. Maybe a little bit. I kind of put myself in Louis's shoes because I think of it as like chocolate is probably like the one thing that I love, and I could like never give it up. <laughs> And so I know that that's probably like, that's like a really simplified version, but I put myself in his shoes. And if I had gone to the doctor and the doctor's like, you know what? You can never have chocolate ever again. Like, cause it's bad for you. Let's see, Snickers bar or Louie, who do I pick? (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I know what you're getting at. Uh, My sister, when I first uh, was spiraling, she says to me, you can never drink again. And Louie, I'll ask you this in a second. You can never drink again. You're going to lose your car, blah, 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 your job, blah, 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 all of that. And you can never drink again. And I remember thinking, and you know what? I don't have that much of a problem. And then I started realizing well, how much pressure that is to never drink again. So I was taught to say, for now, today, I'm relatively sure I'm not going to drink. Because the thought of never, never, never is almost impossible. Right, Louie? Yes, absolutely. That's, that's why we have the saying, one day at a time. Because if we can just make it through today, then tomorrow we don't have to we don't have to worry about that far into the future. We can just be like power through today, see what tomorrow brings, and go from there. And that's why we have these tools available, right? Yes, absolutely. All right, Aubrey, uh, let me ask you some more questions real quick. Coming to these meetings and everything, and been involved with this for now almost two years. What's the uh, what's the uh, number one thing, number a couple of things that you've observed and what have you really come to know about this whole wicked thing? And you've seen people come in our doors, you know, in, in the rooms and things, and you've dealt now with our lives. What is that that you've picked up and what have, uh, what have you noticed? Um, I really like how Bishop Jacob said that he is happy when people come talk to him. I feel like that too at the meetings. I'm happy when people come to the meetings because they're finally ready to admit that they have a problem. Like, that's one of the greatest lies that Satan tells us is that you are the only one that has a problem and no one else does and no one else knows how you feel and you should be ashamed. When the real fact is, is that everyone has problems. Everyone has struggles. Sin is sin. It doesn't matter if you think it's a big sin or a little sin. It doesn't matter. It's the same. Aubrey, thank you. See, again, uh, higher power is such an essential thing. Excuse me. And we haven't touched upon it yet on the podcast, but we were dealing up to it. Uh, Andrew talked about his higher power. And uh, like, again, your higher power may be different than mine. And I was lucky enough when I came here to Minot, I was lucky enough to have some people come by and uh, I was able to meet and they took me by this church. And um, what I love so much about this place is what Aubrey said and what Louis said and what the bishop said is being humble, being humble, humility, knowing your weaknesses and strengths are the biggest things you can possibly do in life. And especially if you're dealing with an addiction 
something that was going to take your life before. It's not easy enough to just quit one day or say, hey, I'll, I'll stop by next week. It's a day by day by day thing. Like Louie was saying, there's tools everywhere for it. And Bishop, when you uh, are uh, approached by someone who may have questions about their addictions and you can see i know you can tell by looking at them that there's someone that's uh in trouble someone that's hurting a lot how do you deal with that it's got to (laughs) be that's the power of being a bishop the talents of being a bishop right so so specifically for addiction that's why this addiction recovery program is so so great that that you and, and louis are a part of and running here because we can refer them to this addiction recovery program and they and and right there the reason the aa steps work is because they're based on humility and faith in God. Those are the keys, being humble and asking God for help. And, and then um, he can heal us. His grace will heal us. And it doesn't have to be uh, anything complicated, um, you know, just a short prayer, you know, asking God for help. And then we'll start to see, and we'll start to see him helping us in our life. And, but, then, but then going to these AA meetings regularly and like these addiction recovery meetings regularly is what's needed. I was going to ask Louie real quick. Do you remember where you were? Do you remember? Do you remember the day when the sunshine was bright on your forehead? That uh, you remember that the uh, it's clear now that the obsession has lifted on me. Do you remember how wonderful that was? Yes, yes, I I really do. I re- I remember, you know, like I talked about before, going to church and you know turning my will over to God. Well, I remember being at work and. Um, listening to some, some talks, some church talks and just, just, you know, feeling the sun shining down on me and pondering about where my life's been, where it's at now and being able to be at peace with myself and at terms with myself, with my past and those places that I've been and to be happy and not to have, um, any remorse or guilt haunting me. And you know, you now know all the rewards to sobriety, bringing you Aubrey by your side and uh, being part of uh, our church. And some people may be hearing this and going, gosh, you guys are talking way too much religion. I understand that. I do. It's higher power, though, is really what you need. Uh, and they'll tell you in the first beginning uh, days and months of your sobriety, when you go to AA meetings, you should have a higher power. Uh, and, and for those that uh, deny the higher power part, and uh, do all the other tools. If that works for you, great. But I have come to believe I can't do it on my own. Flat out, and I've tried. And you might relate to this, Louis. I tried and I relapsed many times because I thought I knew it all. You know why? Because I hadn't let my fingers off the steering wheel. I was driving my own life, driving my own bus, so to speak. I know that's a goofy expression, but it's so true because I thought I could do it this way or I thought I could do it that way. I thought I'd go to an AA meeting in the last 20 minutes and walk out because I was bored to death. I was doing it my way because it satisfied my lazy way and my old ways. But once I, um, uh, I kept relapsing over and over again and I saw that it wasn't working, I realized higher power is what I need in my life and, I, and the 12 steps too. And then when I did that successfully as, as much as I could and I kept doing it over and over again over all these years, I realized that higher power and my higher power will never leave me. And I gotta ask you this, um, Bishop, for those who think that the higher power may be, well, you know, he might be around such and such, but is the higher power always going to be there for me when I slip? You know that question. Oh, I've, you know the answer. Absolutely, 100%. I mean, 
He's, he's, he's said that he will never forget us. He, he loves us more than a mother loves her nursing in, baby. He loves us more than a mother. I mean, a mother can't forget her nursing baby, but, but he says that even if she forgets, he'll never forget us. He loves us more than Aubrey loves chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> um, let me ask you this real quick, Bishop, real quick before we wind up things. What have you, uh, what's your most, uh, this is a tough question. What is the, uh, What's the most thing, the most precious thing you love about being a bishop? What is it? It's got to be so fulfilling and so amazing to see lives change. What I, I love getting to know people like you. I love getting to know people and, um, and seeing God work in their life. And, and so, and, and then that's, that's what I love about it. And I, and I, and I, and I, and the reason I'm serving is for my own, you know, I need to grow closer in, in my walk with God. And so by me being willing to serve and, uh, and I'm just so grateful because I mean, I've had, I've had bishops help me in my life when I've been weak and I've been um, feeling the guilt and just, you know, just, um, you know, we all, we all have things we struggle with. And so I'm trying to pay it forward. But then when I, when I see just God working in people's life, like, like yours and Louis, it's just, um, it's, it's uplifting to me. Louis, uh, to wrap up things with you, how have things changed in your life? And you want to say a quick wrap up to anybody who might be on the fence who's listening to this going, you know, maybe I should give it a try. Yeah, yeah. So the rewards and the benefits of living a sober life now is doesn't compare to anything to my my past life of of being an addict. Granted, I would never change a thing. I wouldn't be here and I wouldn't be the person I am today if I didn't go through those trials and those struggles. And if you're on the fence about it and leaning towards getting the help but unsure or scared about reaching out, it's just like Aubrey said. I remember when I first called into one of these meetings and I was so full of shame and guilt and felt like I was alone on this island feeling these feelings and listen, listening to a gentleman talk about some of the struggles that he was that he'd been going through and that he'd um, overcome and me feeling that same way just to know that there's other people out there that are feeling the same things that you've that you're feeling right now and that we have the tools available for recovery and all it takes is just a small little inkling of willingness to want to reach out and I would I would advise anybody out there that's on the fence, Go to an AA meeting, uh, meet with some with a loved one that you can trust in, and just start to open up and get these things off your chest. Aubrey, you want to say anything to anybody out there who uh, may be thinking, I don't have a problem with addiction, but I know someone who does, or I'm dealing with a family member. Do you want to say anything to them? Um, I guess just be patient and love them. One of the things that we've talked about in our meetings is that you can't force anyone into recovery. They have to be the ones that step forward and decide because otherwise they just, they half-heartedly go through the steps and then they relapse. And I mean, it's hard enough when you're like 100% want to recover, but um, just love them and be there for them as much as you can without enabling them, of course. But um, That is so true. That is so true. Listen, uh, Bishop, will you lead us out with a prayer? And then we'll wrap things up if that's all right with uh, everybody here. I'd love to say a prayer. Can I just offer one more little, sure you little thing? Yep, sure you can. That, yep. That you know, and, and I love how you've shared your 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 story, you know, on your, on your podcasts. And you and I've shared this with you before, but you 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 might think that 
you know, you know, so-and-so contacted me and that's how I got my job in Fargo. And then so-and-so contacted me and that's how I got to Minot. But, but our, our Heavenly Father, um, he has a plan for us and he, he knows that, anyways, Brother Brandon, you're, you're here for a reason and uh, it's, it's wonderful to see you uplifting the community here with this, uh, with your podcast, There Is A Way Out. And so- Well, thank you for that. There's obviously a purpose for you to be here and, and for Louis to, to be here too and, and uplifting and strengthening um, those around us who are struggling with addiction. And um, God has a purpose for, for each of us and a plan for us. And uh, there aren't any accidents or coincidences. He, um, he, he, he wants us here for, for a reason, and you're, you're doing wonderful work. Well, thank you for that. you want to take us out with a prayer? Yep, sir, absolutely. Our Heavenly Father, we love thee very much. And we know that we, know that we are, um, have all made mistakes. And we, we're sorry for the mistakes that we make. And we're thankful that we have the opportunity to, to repent and to change. And we humbly pray for anyone who's listening that is struggling with this, this, uh, this monster of addiction. Please help them. Give them the strength they need. Help them to find help from AA meetings and their church. Help them to find the support from loved ones and from family. Help them to see the light. Help them to see that they can overcome this. The obsession can be lifted. Help them to take those first steps to pray to thee and ask and ask for help. This is our humble prayer in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, Bishop. Listen, I want to tell you, Bishop, thank you for being the guy you are. Awesome. And I want to tell Louie and uh, Aubrey, it's been a pleasure uh, being part of uh, our program on Thursday. So I'm going to miss you guys. They're moving to Utah. And I also want to apologize for... Uh, <laughs> for wasting two and a half, uh, three hours of your time here because the first podcast you got uh, accidentally erased. But I do, do want to tell everybody this, that what you heard today was just um, higher power works and it works in my program and hopefully for somebody out there that's dealing with, um, with feeling uh, lost or hurt or uh, confused about the uh, evils of addiction, which is so strong. And if you know of anybody that's going through the same thing, if you want to give a listen to There Is A Way Out, I'm not an expert or anything, but I'm hoping that uh, if somebody can hear it and say, well, if, uh, if you can do it, uh, maybe I should give it a try. I, I hear Louie talk about it and he makes sense. Maybe I should just uh, try and uh, turn my life around. And uh, thank you for listening to this and uh, There Is A Way Out. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.